Warning. This episode includes stories that feature child abuse and child loss. If you find these topics triggering, then this may not be the episode for you. Proceed with caution. And as always, welcome, my spookables. Greetings from the Shadow World, and welcome to Humble Hauntings, where ghost enthusiasts and lovers of the unknown can pull up a seat and make themselves at home. I am your host, MJ McAdams, part-time shadow person, full-time supernatural seeker, and today is all about home. No, not your home, nor mine. There are certainly no cozy cottages in the country or quiet suburban houses in today's story. Instead, we are visiting homes across the U.S. that hold far more than families and furnishings beyond their doors. Yep, you guessed it. This episode is all about haunted houses. But first, a message from our friends at the Oddball Aussie and Three Spooked Girls. Hi there, Oz here from the Oddball Aussie Podcast. If you're not listening to the Oddball Aussie Podcast, then you're missing out. You're missing out on cryptids, aliens, ghosts, and a ton of weird stuff. We've even got urban legends and crazy conspiracy theories. So if you want to hear the weird tales and lame dad jokes from the brain of a slightly deranged Aussie, then tune in to the Oddball Aussie Podcast. New episodes every week. You can find me where all good podcasts are found. Look after each other and stay safe out there in the weird. there i'm tara and i'm jessica and together we co-host the podcast three spooked girls if you love the paranormal or murder join us on mondays for full-length episodes where we discuss our favorite paranormal stories and true crime cases and join us again on thursdays for our mini-sodes called stabby snippets where we tell you all about true crimes happening in the news you can find us on apple podcasts podbean spotify wherever the hell else you listen to your pods at you can also find us on twitter instagram and facebook by using the handle at Three Spooked Girls. Come and hang out with us and get your spooky on while we scare the hell out of you. And now for today's Tales of Terror.
She had lost almost everything. Her husband, her child, and some would say her sanity as well. But whether you believe the loss of her family drove her to madness, or that she was simply a woman suffering from an unimaginable grief, one cannot deny that the legacy Sarah Winchester left behind was not only mysterious, but haunting. The legend goes that Sarah believed her family was cursed. A psychic from Boston had spoken with Sarah and informed her that the Winchester family she had married into had spread evil all over the world with their guns. You see, Winchester firearms were known as the gun that won the West. It was these firearms in particular that were a key influence in decimating the Native American population all for their land and resources. Many innocent people met their end by Winchester weapons, just for defending what was rightfully theirs. Winchester firearms helped pave the way for westward expansion, leaving devastation and countless lost lives in their wake. It was because of this that the spirits of those who met their end by these weapons wanted vengeance. The psychic told her that this was her curse now. The spirits took away her newborn daughter, and they were also to blame for the death of her husband. And sooner or later, they would come for Sarah Winchester too. So the widowed Sarah took her inherited fortune and left her life in the East Coast society behind to start over in San Jose, California. It was said that she was reclusive, but she was never alone. Hiring a small staff of 18 servants, along with 18 gardeners and a construction team that worked around the clock, there was always someone with her in the grand and mind-boggling house. Sarah continued to grieve as she started her new life in California. In fact, it is said that she stayed in mourning until the day she died, at the ripe old age of 82. But in life, she spent her days forever adding on to her home. And in truth, the house was never finished in a sense. Rooms and staircases were always being added on, changed, or torn down to put up something else in its place. In fact, at its grandest, the Winchester home consisted of 200 rooms, 10,000 windows, and 47 fireplaces. And not just that. The Winchester house was also filled with trap doors, a labyrinth of corridors, winding staircases that led nowhere, and doors that opened into nothingness. And, if the legends can be trusted, it was all in the hopes of tricking the spirits that followed Sarah, so that they would never be able to find her. where the heart is, as the old saying goes. It's a little piece of the world we can call our own, where we can live out our lives safe and sound. But sometimes a home isn't just ours. Sometimes we are just occupying shared space, even if we don't always know it. And if the houses we discuss today have anything to say about it, you'll get to see that those who pass on in a home don't always leave. On the contrary, they are spirits staying on as permanent residents of their humble abode. Mm -hmm. 
When talking about haunted houses in the U.S., it's hard to know where to start. Haunted homes are in abundance here, and there are no shortage of the ghost stories that surround them. Take the House of Death in New York, for example. One look at this unassuming brownstone just off of Fifth Avenue wouldn't leave you with the impression that it's haunted, let alone haunted by a total of 22 ghosts. Residents have reported visions of a lady all in white wandering the House of Death along with a gray cat. One of the most famous specters is none other than the famous American writer Mark Twain, who actually lived there from 1900 to 1901. But the most tragic spirit of the House of Death is the ghost of a little girl. At the age of just six, she was beaten to death by her father, a criminal prosecutor by the name of Joel Steinberg in 1987. Now, she wanders the rooms of what was once her home, a soul whose life was unjustly snuffed out before her time. In Cleveland, Ohio, we have the Franklin Castle, a massive 30-room house with secret passageways and unnerving gargoyles guarding the entrance. One look at it, and it seems 100% plausible that it's haunted. And not only that, but Franklin Castle also possesses a famous curse. The original owner, Hannes Tiedemann, actually sold the home not long after he purchased it. You see, when his family moved into the property, they all began to die, one by one. And even though Tiedemann managed to sell the home and be rid of it, he perished as well, not long after leaving. These days, Franklin Castle passes from one family to the next, but no one ever stays very long. The house doesn't feel like a home, and the sense of dread that echoes throughout its rooms leave people more than happy to move out and on with their lives. The home is plagued by unexplainable cold spots and eerie organ music, not to mention that ghost children are often seen wandering the property. With its curse, strange music, and ghostly occupants, Franklin Castle is a haunted mansion straight out of a campfire tale. And then, there's the Joshua Ward House. The Joshua Ward House is a historical home located at 148 Washington Street in Salem, Massachusetts. It was built in 1784 and was not only one of the first brick houses in Salem, but is also said to be one of the most haunted. This three-story federal-style home has been the subject of many rumors, and there has been countless sightings of spirits on the property. And with its gruesome history, it's not hard to see why. It's not the house itself that is the source of the haunting. It's the land it's built on, Anyone who is familiar with Salem knows about the infamous Salem Witch Trials. In 1692, a group of young girls accused several people of being witches, witches who had attacked these girls with their magic, causing hellish visions, convulsions, and uncontrollable screaming. Mass hysteria ensued in the Salem community, 
The girls gave three names to local authorities. Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, and Tichuba, a Caribbean woman and slave of one of the afflicted girls' families. The first two denied any part in witchcraft, while it is said that Tichuba admitted to being a witch and claimed that other witches were hiding throughout the community. Due to the fact that the trials were based around word of mouth and he said, she said, there really was no way to be found innocent. Most of the trial hearings were carried out by local officials who felt it was their responsibility to keep their community safe. This gave them a great sense of power over the community and the accused, whose lives depended on their whims. Which brings us to Mr. George Corwin, the original owner of the land where the Joshua Ward House now stands. George Corwin was only 25 when he was elected as High Sheriff of Salem. This had less to do with his own aptitude for the position and everything to do with his well-connected family. Regardless, Corwin played a specific and ghastly role in the Salem Witch Trials. Though the trials were already underway when he was first appointed, his first hearing was in regards to Rebecca Nurse, Sarah Good, Sarah Wilds, and Susanna Martin, some of the most well-known accused of the trials. Corwin was charged with transporting these women to the trials and arranged for their hangings when found guilty. In fact, he tortured and hung the women himself. Corwin became obsessed with his newly found power and took a sick pleasure in torturing the accused witches his torture methods becoming more and more gruesome as time passed. And then, it is said that Corwin began to take his work home with him. It was rumored that he would invite those accused of witchcraft to his home, and once inside, he would lock them in his basement, where he would torture them for a confession. Simply because he could. By the conclusion of the Salem Witch Trials, Corwin had a hand in all 19 executions. Today, the land where Corwin's house once stood is now the Joshua Ward House, which is home to several different businesses. And according to those who work on the property, you can find three distinct and unnerving spirits here. It's no surprise that, considering the history of the property, one of the ghosts here is known as the Witch of Joshua Ward House. It is said that she haunts the very top floor of the building, and men who encounter her here have an eerie feeling of being watched. Some even leave work with mysterious scratches on their chest. It is said that she is the spirit of one of the 19 sentenced to death by Corwin, who seeks revenge for her unjust demise. The spirit even made international news when a picture was captured of her at a business party. In 1981, Carlson Realty, one of several businesses located at the Joshua Ward House, was hosting a company Christmas party. A man was snapping Polaroid photos of the festivities to keep as mementos. But when he took a photo of one of his female co-workers, something strange happened. She didn't appear in the photo at all. 
In her place was a grainy image of a young woman with long dark curls and pale skin. This photo was featured in a book called Ghostly Haunts, and once the book was published, it made local and even international news. Soon after, more people came forward saying that they had seen the same woman around the property. And while no one can confirm her identity, it is believed that she was one of the accused witches who became a victim of George Corwin. Giles Corey is another ghost that is said to roam the Joshua Ward house. Corey was one of the 19 sentenced to death during the trials for being found guilty of being a warlock. But he was not hung like the others. Instead, Corwin had him crushed to death. Heavy slabs of stone were placed atop his body, slowly crushing him until he died. Now it is said that his soul is bound to the property and seeks retribution from Corwin. It is said that candles will melt even though they are never lit. And not just that, they will melt into the letter S, which some believe stands for Sheriff, a message from Giles Corey that he seeks justice from Corwin. And George Corwin's spirit may very well be close by. The third and final ghost is believed to be Corwin himself, who died in his home of a heart attack. His ghost is known as the Strangler, a name originating from the rumors of the torture sessions he held in his basement. It was said that along with his normal torture methods, he enjoyed strangling his captives as well. And although there is no proof of this, there have been many reports of people feeling hands squeezing around their throats and choking them. And all of these occurrences were said to have happened when the person in question was completely alone. Stick around after this word from our sponsors to hear about a popular and eerie children's rhyme that revolves around a house and the murders that occurred there. Today's final story is about to begin. But first, a word from our friends at OctoberPod. Now, from Edward October comes a completely new kind of retro horror experience. A journey into the bizarre and horrifying world where nightmare and nostalgia coexist. OctoberPod. It saturates your streaming device with terror. Is one of these coeds the disciple of an elder demon? Or are they just playing occult games? Not so innocent occult games. Eager to test the limits of experience. An elder demon is stalking. October Pod, a retro horror show for bold individualists. Available now on YouTube, Vimeo, 
Podbean, Podchaser, and at OctoberPodVHS.com. Lizzie Borden took an axe, gave her mother forty wax. When she saw what she had done, gave her father forty one. The infamous children's rhyme is in reference to the equally infamous tale of Lizzie Borden, a tale that has spawned countless retellings in the form of books, movies, and TV shows. On August fourth. 1892, the bodies of Andrew Borden and his wife Abby Borden were discovered in their home, bludgeoned to the point where they were barely recognizable. And who was the prime suspect of their murder? None other than Andrew's daughter, Lizzie Borden herself. It was one of the first murder cases that was covered intently by the media, and the entire nation watched the case and trial unfold. And while some believe that Lizzie was indeed guilty and trying to take hold of the family fortune, she was acquitted of the murders due to lack of physical evidence, and lived in comfort until her death, at the age of 66. Today, the house where the Borden home still stands has been converted into a museum and bed and breakfast. Visitors can sleep in the haunted rooms within the house, and even take a look at the disturbing crime scene photos of the murders—murders that happened within the very walls of the Borden home. Now it is said that the sounds of people moaning can be heard in the house, along with a woman weeping and muffled conversations between unseen entities. Footsteps can also be heard shuffling across the halls of the Borden home. It is said that Abby and Andrew Borden make appearances as well, and though the encounters are never violent, they are at the very least unsettling. A maid even reportedly quit after she witnessed the sudden indent of a body on the bed, in what was once Abby's room. While the hauntings are never violent, there is a feeling one gets while staying in this house. It is a feeling that even when there is no other living person in sight, you are never alone. Home, a place of comfort and safety, a place to call our own. In their own way, houses have a certain life to them. We fill them with our time, with our memories, with our joy and sorrow. They watch children grow, relationships bloom, and sometimes witness the ending of our stories. Life and death together touch the places where we live and thrive. And while some people pass on and leave their homes behind them, some don't. They are still here. And most likely, will always be. It's like I always say, home is where the haunt is. Thank you for joining me today here at Humble Hauntings, where the lovers of the unknown 
will always have a home. And thank you for being with this humble podcast for its very first season. And though season one has come to an end, we will be back October 28th for season two, just in time for Halloween. But until then, my spookables, stay spooky, read a ghost story or two, have a nice chat with the void that lives in the corner of your bedroom, and most of all, remember, home is where the haunt is.